into a bar on a cool winter's evening underneath the stars and we'll find somewhere close hello and you're in the cool room uh, i'm one of your hosts david griffiths and it's my uh, exceptional honor to welcome people both in the zoom room and listening to us on the podcast to another one of our virtual meet the brewers sessions tonight with the very good people from Tallboy and Moose. Um, we've noticed in the last few weeks, the episodes have got longer and a bit more rambly. So we're going to do a big effort to make sure tonight that we keep things tight and focused, but rest assured that my intro will be no more tight and no more focused than it has been in previous weeks. In fact, it's probably gonna be a bit longer. So let's kick off and get through the intro and we can move on from there. Um, if you're listening on the podcast or if you're in the Zoom room, uh, tonight is designed to be uh, accompanied by three fantastic Torboy and Moose beers, the Double Dry Hopped Stardust, the Silk Road Sunrise and the Lightning Axe. And uh, if you don't already have those with you and you're listening in the podcast, you can either go onto our online store or track them down from the brewery directly or all sorts of other places to make sure that you're able to enjoy the beers as we're making our way through them. Um, they're big beers in terms of the format being 440ml and also in terms of the alcohol, especially with the Lightning Axe. We don't expect you to drink them all at once or while you're listening. Feel free to make yourselves a little tasting paddle if you're in a room at home. Feel free to pause after each of the beers if you're listening in the podcast version and uh, we'll let you know when we're moving from one to another uh, we certainly encourage you to drink responsibly as you go along. Um, to everyone who's been really loyally tuning into the Zoom room or downloading us, we really appreciate that. Uh, if you haven't already rated and reviewed us uh, through whatever podcast platform you listen, uh, listen on, that makes a big difference to us in getting the word out. So if you could do that, that'd be great. And of course, please follow us and Tallboy and Moose on Facebook and Instagram and all those other ways that you can keep up to date with what's happening. Uh, that way you can hear about what's in the future. And you can also go back and check out our archives for fantastic episodes that we've had recently, all with tasty tasting packs accompanying them. Uh, we've had Ale Farm, we've had Nomad, we've had Deep Creek. Last week we had Kaiju, we've had Batch, we've had Sierra Nevada live from the US. Uh, all of those are available back in the archives. And if you're following us on Facebook and Instagram, even better, if you're on our mailing list, then you'll get a heads up about future events. Uh, next week, we've got uh, Golden Hills joining us from Diamond Creek. Uh, it's a fantastic tasting pack there, 12 different beers in it, and a lot of things to talk about with those guys. And then the week after that, and I'm still not sure how much I'm allowed to say, but I'm sure Deeds won't be listening tonight. So... I'll give you a little hint that uh, the Deeds episode in two weeks' time is going to be fantastic. It's their birthday. It's our birthday. They've brewed four special release beers for that. And uh, subscribers and people who buy that through our online shop are going to get access to those on the day that they come out. You'll probably get them before most bottle shops do. Um, so make sure you're following us on the mailing list to get access to those because they're going to sell fast and they'll be sold out across Melbourne. I am very, very confident. Um, we have three representatives from Torboy and Moose in the room with us at the moment. 
First of all, we have Steve, who I know has to leave pretty quickly, but if you need more Steve in your life, you can go back to our archives, way back to November 2018, when Steve was our second ever guest, and you can hear a whole lot of his story. Uh, so check that out and welcome Steve. G'day. <laughs> the famous, I'll just nod and that'll come across in the podcast really well. Welcome back, brother. Thank you for being here. And um, I'm going to hand over to my good friend, Travis, who's uh, actually managed to sleep with a nine-day-old baby in the house, I think. Uh, Seven-day-old baby. but Seven-day-old. Yeah. I lost track completely. Well, um, you and me both. <laughs> Trev, do you want to introduce Ben and Bryce from Torboy and Moose? And we'll kick off with the questions. Thank you, David. Uh, evening, Ben and Bryce. How are we all? Yeah, good. That's all right. Cool. We are going to kick off tonight with the Stardust. So hopefully everyone has opened their cans up and is ready to rock and roll. It is now. <laughs> we always like to get that sound across. That was good, Ben. Next time you do it, hold it close to your microphone for us. That'd be great. <laughs> How about this? ASMR. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm going to get that as well. Got <laughs> I'll have to boost the volume on that, uh, Bryce, but it, it sounds good, man. Yeah, good. <laughs> oh, shit. Look at that, Paul. Welcome to the cool room, guys. It's going all over my lap. Far out. Jesus. <laughs> Jesus. I was, like, thinking, I don't want to spill this on camera. <laughs> That's okay. The listeners at the podcast won't get that anyway. It'll be fine. So, guys, we, we, you know, we've had a, a, a heap of IPAs on our virtual Meet the Brewer sessions so far. Um, why don't you start by uh, giving us a quick rundown on, on this IPA and uh, give us a bit of an insight into the flavour profile and what the listeners should be looking out for with it. And this is you. Yeah, sure. I'll take this one. Um, so I think, I don't know, like obviously New England IPAs are all the bloody rage at the moment and, you know, everyone really targets pure fruit juice. Um, but I think where this one stands out is, yes, it's got Galaxy in it, which is, we're all pretty familiar with Galaxy in Australia. Um, very like grapefruity, passion fruity. Um, yes, it's like a fruit bomb. Um, but we've also chucked some Comet at it. And I get, um, so Comet is kind of like, they call it Citra's little sister. Um, so it's got, you know, a lot of, a lot of uh, characteristics similar to, to Citra. But I also find a little bit of spice, a little bit of onion garlic, which, you know, those kind of things in a Nipah, if they're, if they're um, you know, the key components of the flavour, then they, you know, it wouldn't be like conducive to the hazy IPA, New England IPA vibe. But the if they're kind vibe. of, sorry? The fruit juice vibe. Yeah, yeah, but we're getting that fruit juice vibe from the galaxy, and it was playing the comets playing like a little supporting role, um, just giving it, you know, so it's something a little extra that's not, so it's not all just fruit juice, full stop, you know, fruitiness from the galaxy, a little bit of extra, little something from the, from the comet. Yeah, perfect. Um, yeah, that's that's kind of how I think about this beer. The galaxy definitely stands out on the nose, but you'd get the comet when you when you take a sip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And how about um, the dry hop process? So 
Yeah, you've given us a bit of an insight into the hops used. Why don't you give us a bit of a rundown on the dry hopping process as well while we're at it? Yeah, sure. So, um, DDH, I'm sure a lot of your audience knows that means um, double dry hopped. Uh, so the first dry hop that we've we've chucked in um, uh, at about uh, 24 hours after we've pitched the yeast um, is a Bravo dry hop. Um, so dra- Bravo is uh, sorry Bravo is full of um, geraniol and linalool. Um, these these uh, just oils that are found in all hops, but uh, but Bravo specifically has quite a high proportion of uh, linalool and geraniol. Um, and when we're, when we're using a biotransformative yeast, um, uh, like the one that we use for this, uh, there, there's like a heap of um, quite complex chemical reactions that happen um, that occur between the yeast and the, the oils in, in the Bravo hops, um, which gives it, gives it neeper, like a, the, 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 the typical fruit juice kind of quality as well. Um, so that was our first dry hop with Bravo. Uh, and then uh, the second dry hop was, was Comet and, and Galaxy. Yeah. Yeah, nice. Um, and yeah, the fruit juicy vibes from, from Bravo as well as the Galaxy. And then, as I, as I mentioned before, the extra little uh, sprinkling of you know, onion, garlic, spice kind of thing coming from the Comet. Is it easy to get Comet at the moment? A couple of years ago, I thought I'd sort of a bit more of that around than I do at the moment, but it's one of my favourite hops. I think it's had a bit of a resurgence because I think it was, um, um, it, was, it, was, it was a hop that was thrown around a lot back when IPAs were all about bitterness, before the, the hazy IPA craze, if you, if you can call it that. Um, back when, um, yeah, breweries were playing the bitterness wars um, Comet is quite a high alpha acid hop. Um, so yeah, obviously like a lot of West coast IPA brewers in the States were, were, were choosing Easy. Comet a lot. Um, Steve might remember when, were you selling Brewdog when they used to do those individual hop, uh, sort of series and they had a Comet one of those, which I always remember as being very pineapple for some reason. Yeah. I, I can't remember if I tried that one. I remember they did a couple, I think, I don't know if it was each year they did a four pack with uh, a set of four hops and uh, they definitely did a Comet version way, way back. Um, I can't remember that beer in particular. Um, The one Comet beer I do definitely remember is um, uh, uh, my former work team did a trip to Sierra Nevada and we got the chance to walk through their barrel room, which is like, think of like, you know, massive warehouse filled with thousands and thousands of barrels filled with delicious beer. And there was one barrel. And so we were just pulling nails and tasting different beers. And there was one barrel that was, I think it was barrel aged Bigfoot, which is their, uh, their barley wine. And it had been um, dry hopped in barrel with comet flowers. Um, And it had a real kind of pungent, um, hop note to it it was delicious as you might imagine um but uh yeah i I, on the comet i i think sometimes yeah ben's right in terms of high alpha and it being used for mega bitterness um but sometimes there are hops that sometimes 
get a bad rap for being oniony garlicky. Um, and, and, and I sort of find that that is often, um, you know, season to season that can change depending on where the hops being grown and, you know, the farm and the, you know, we're getting into like terroir and also one year versus the next year, the, those sort of oniony garlicky characters can come and go. And so a bigger brewers that are bigger than us, they'll go and do hop selection and they'll choose different lots. They'll, they'll smell and rub different lots of Comet, for example, and they'll say, I want lot five because it's blasting with grapefruit and, you know, the goods, but lot two sucks because it smells like garlic you know, and they'll select that. Um, so there's a lot of seasonal variation and um, sort of agricultural variation that can play into, you know, the different characteristics that show up as well. Yeah, on that, yeah, nice. I've, I've, I've experienced heaps of onion and garlic from from uh, Mixed Secret and, and Galaxy in the past as well. But the Galaxy that we chucked in this was just all grapefruit and like nothing else. Mm. So yeah, season mm. to season, plot to plot has, make, makes a huge difference. In what we end up with, I feel like you can pick what's going to be the next. Uh, if, if you ever get a, a catalog or a price list from one of the hop suppliers, if you want to know what the next big hop will be, just look at the cheapest one because that's the one we're all buying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there ain't there ain't no cheapest one these days. Bit, yeah, bit, yeah, yeah. Bit, sar- sar- sarcasm, of course, but yeah. Are there any, any uh, you know, uh, uh, were the hop profile for this beer always the same from day dot? Like, did, was there any sort of variation on it or was it pretty much solidly in place from the beginning? Well, it's actually a second generation because yeah. the first one was, um, the first one was uh, DDH Nebula, which had a different dry hop and we, we kind of brought it back in, in Stardust and we just changed the hops. But Ben can talk a little bit more about um the decision to change and to make it a whole new beer? Um, well, I guess like we just kind of, we've been releasing um, beers in kind of pairs a little bit. Uh, we're not making a rule of it, but we have kind of been doing that with uh, Lightning Axe, which we'll try later on, and um, the Thunder Hammer as well. So they're both quite IPAs which, and then Double Dry Which was meant to be in this pack. We apologize it's not. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll, that, that's coming out. Tomorrow, actually. Tomorrow. Um, but yeah, Double Dry Hop Nebula and Double Dry Hopped um, uh, Stardust uh, came out as a pair as well. Um, so very, very minute uh, differences in, in those beers. Slightly different ABV um, and, and different hops. Um, I guess like, you know, what we're trying to do is, um, you know, change. We riff on recipes a lot. So we'll have, you know, we did DDH Nebula and, you know, it's got the sort of biotransformation process that Ben was talking about earlier. And we like to take bits and pieces of previous recipes and bits, uh, things that we like, and then we apply them in new ways and create new beers and, and you can really hone, hone stuff in. Um, and yeah, it's sort of, fun the the fun bit of playing the brewery like you know taking a recipe concept and a process concept and then applying it to a new set of hops and um you know seeing what happens yeah yeah and do you guys see the um yeah we're we're in ipa crazy times at the moment and have been for a while 
do you sort of see that craze of, on IPA sort of slowing down or do you see something else emerging in its place or? Uh, like hard seltzer. <laughs> I was wondering when that was going to come up. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Oops. <laughs> um, my answer to that is no, IPAs are not slowing down. Um, there has been the trend, you know, uh, the juicification of IPAs. So, uh, lower bitterness, um, and you know, these, these sweeter versions. So a lot IPA milkshake IPAs with lactose and like, uh, IPA dessert style IPAs that are released designed to taste like things that are not an IPA. Um, you know, the, I guess that the super classic version of an IPA being like, you know, the original British version versus what people are drinking now is totally, totally different beer. Right. Um, and, uh, and so I think there'll be, there will continue to be evolutions and variations. Um, uh, you know, black IPA had a massive flash and then disappeared and everyone decided it was stupid and shouldn't be made and now like there's actually and now quite a moose is making one and we're packaging it in a couple of weeks yeah <laughs> oh, really? and our guest our guest last week had one and yeah, there seems around. to be a few uh there seems to be a few of them popping up around uh i, I think it's kind of one of those yeah it's, it's a revamp thing like you know when made well they're delicious and so why not make it well and it'd be delicious it, it's funny because I'm calling, um, obviously, bottle shops and bars all day, every day, um, doing sales. And as soon as I have, every time I mention Shadow Ban, which is our black IPA coming out in September, um, everyone's like, oh, I love a black IPA. And I'm like, really? Like, I, I thought it was a dead style, but apparently the market is, 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 uh, is keen to see more of it. Yeah. Interesting. Um, there was a funny article that I read today from uh, Australian Brews News, and it was about a West Coast IPA competition in New Zealand. And basically the judges said that like 90% of the beers submitted sucked and were not to style. And it's not necessarily that the beers weren't good beers, but they weren't West Coast IPAs because a lot of breweries that are now making IPA, they're, yeah, they're sort of softening things. And um, uh, the, the beers may be very, very, very heavily dry hopped and have tons of hop flavor and aroma, but West Coast IPA is supposed to be bracingly bitter. And, you know, there seems to be a movement away from, from, from that kind of iteration of IPA. Um, so, you know, maybe in a year or maybe next year is going to be like the revamp of like proper West coast, like a hundred IBU mega, mega bitter. I'd like um, to see that. Yeah. I'd, I'd like to say that. that. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm all about that. Let's do that. <laughs> it is one of those things that we, we probably do get to a point where we get away from the whole, you know, milkshake IPA and stuff and get back to some form of normality on, on things. So we, you know, we may venture eventually get back to that. We were having a discussion before about lagers and that sort of thing. It's, you know, simplify things and, you know, change things up back to standard stuff. It's yeah. That's a good call. Does anyone else follow the, I guess the U S trends because the U S is already in lager trend and we usually follow somewhere around two years after. Um, if you listen like, and not to veer 
anyone away from this podcast, but if you listen to a podcast called The Beerists, it's a, a Texas Austin based um, group that that review beers in uh, obviously US beers, so we can't really easily get them here. But uh, they're all about lagers nowadays, like lager after lager after lager on every episode. So uh, we're not, we won't be far off it. I think we're about maybe a year and six months uh, away from, from lagers taking a, a pedestal again. But yeah, we just got to wait. So that's- and, and also more uh, actually bitter IPAs. And bitter IPAs. So lagers and bitter IPAs. That's the future. There you go. You heard it here first, guys. <laughs> I was about to say that, Travis. <laughs> oh, wait. That uh, Palette Wrecker from the name of the brewery escapes me right now. But I've been... Green I've Flash. Been, Green Flash, yep. yeah. Yep. Yep. Thanks, Steve. Um, I've, been, I've been longing for that beer for years. But they don't bring it into the country anymore. Well, if they do, I don't, I'm not sure who brings it in. But oh, that was my go-to if I wanted just like... a. a, a real IPA and this was you know eight years ago when the IPA quality in Australia was not not crash hot um but yeah I've been I've been dreaming about that beer I just want it back it's like a 90 98 IBU nine and a half percent delicious west coast IPA and I just I want it back hopefully we, we Has, there's, there's enough market for uh for that kind of beer to to become you know, uh, to have a resurgence, I guess. Has anyone tried the new Hawkers double IPA? Um, I haven't tried it yet. I've got a can in the fridge. I have one sitting in the fridge as well at the moment. And there it is. Um, and apparently that is back to, back to basics, back to classic West coast. Um, I got this from, uh, our friend Leon Perkin and, uh, he's basically said, if you like, 2010 West Coast IPA Wars, you'll love this beer. Um, so I'm pretty keen to crack into that yeah. when I get a chance. How, how do you guys feel about sort of the, the, the market trends? Do you guys follow a, a, a path with your releases or do you just go down that whole, this is what we want to release and this is what we're doing? Steve. Uh, <laughs> I, I would here. say there's, there's, a, there's a combination. So our releases historically are based on um, tap rotation decisions. So it's based on Tallboy and Moose being a brew pub, um, which unfortunately can't be open to the public at the moment, uh, except for, you know, takeaway bottle shop stuff. But we've got, um, got 16 taps and we want variety on those taps. And so before we started canning, we were keg only, and basically every single beer was to fill a slot on that tap list. And it's like, all right, you know, we 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 basically have like a you know the the history, uh, you know, the past three years, for example, we brew every different style we can think of because we want variety on tap, and so that's why um, you know there's. There's not a lot of breweries in Australia that make Grudziski, um, which is like a weird uh, Polish smoky, low alcohol, semi-sour kind of thing, you know? And and that's why, you know, we started playing with Kvik yeast and because um, we wanted to make stuff that's different and we want, um, we want a, a spread. And so to answer your question, 
yes, we absolutely pay attention to trends and, um, and, and let's be honest, like if something sells well, then we will, you know, we, we will likely have a crack and, and, and if something sells really well, then, you know, we'll respond to that and we might riff on it. So, you know, hazy IPA is a great example. Um, if they sell really well, then we're more likely to brew them again. Um, because, you know, at, at, at the end of the day, we got to pay the electricity bills and, and whatnot. Um, but at the same time, we're always playing around with, uh, with weird concepts and weird ingredients and styles that are not popular at all. Um, you know, uh, I was having a chat with somebody uh, the other week about how we basically had a Belgian tap at the brew pub since we opened. And, you know, wheat, wheat beers and Belgian style beers don't, don't generally sell particularly well in Melbourne. I don't know about, you know, broader Australia. Um, back in Canada, I have no idea why, but there's all the, all the small breweries make heaps of Belgian style beers and they seem to be really popular. But here they, they definitely are not that popular. Um, I, test. I used to be a sales rep for a couple of breweries in Brisbane and every time we brewed any Belgian kind of beers, no one wanted, no one wanted anything to do with it. Especially yeah. in Brisbane, dude. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> we can't yeah, yeah, Brisbane at the moment, they, they can actually go to pubs. Like, oh, you know. mate. And they're, and they're making some great beers, uh, you know, range and uh, is it out of range? Or whatever. Um, can, can I ask a question from, from Max who's joining us in the room? And Max, welcome back into the Zoom room. Um, for people who are listening on the podcast, if you join us live in the Zoom room, then you get to do what Max has done, which is type in a question and we can ask it on uh, your behalf. And this is a really sensible one for people who are both new to beer and just trying to understand how all these styles work. Um, there's traditional British IPAs, which you mentioned, and we've talked about milkshake IPAs and Nipahs and all those other ones. What is it that makes all of them IPAs. You could put two or three of those beers in front of an average punter and they'd go, these are radically different drinks. What makes them all IPAs? <laughs> That's a bloody good question. That's a really well done, good question. Uh, I guess you could go by the style guide definition. So there are style guides. Um, so there's the GBJCP. Well said, yeah. right? Yeah. And the Brewers Association. Yeah. And Brewers Association style guides. And so um, there are there's subcategories of, you know, British IPA and American IPA. And if your beer fits within the parameters of that style guide, then it belongs within that style. However, um, more generally, uh, they're IPAs because they're mega hoppy and uh, and at a certain alcohol level. So, you know, a pale ale can be mega hoppy, but it's usually around, you know, 5% or whatever. Um, if the beer is closer to 6%, then it's an IPA. It's closer to 8%, then it's a double IPA. And, um, and so if you're at, in that alcohol range and you are, it's a very hoppy beer, um, then, I guess you could call it an IPA. So really it's about the fact that hops can do all sorts of things once they're in a beer and there's all sorts of different types of hops, but it's the fact that they're the ones that are really driving the car in IPAs. 
that yeah, and then and then there's other variables that swing it into the other sort of substyle. So if you've got lactose, then you might call it a milkshake IPA or a oat cream IPA. If you are using a British yeast strain and getting sort of uh, British uh, ester profiles into the beer and and potentially some crystal malt, then you would call it a British IPA. Or if you're using British hops then you'd call it a British IPA. If you're using black malts and the beer is black in color, um, then it's a black IPA. Um, or you could make a brown IPA and so on. You know? So to follow on from that actual question there, and this is something even, even I don't quite um, click with, is as soon as it becomes red, brown, or black, it's no longer pale. So why do we call it IPA? But that's whatever anyway it's an unanswerable question mm. just open up a can of worms here right like, yeah it's, it's it's impossible to answer don't worry about it i'm just here for the comedic relief yeah yeah and then some another po- another uh, uh person commented saying so i bought an ipa from a bar a while back a small victorian brewery looked at the abv it was 2.8 percent. is that really still an ipa no and that is where uh I don't know. IPAs generally sell really well, and sometimes breweries jump on the IPA bandwagon. Maybe you could call that a, you know, session, session, session IPA, IPA. Yeah. or light. I don't know, light IPA. I saw, I yeah, I saw another beer that was like it was like four percent, and it would just called black IPA, and it's like, well, that's not a black IPA. <laughs> but yeah, a, a lot of breweries have thrown IPA onto the label because it sells well. And so uh, a a great example of this is this is before the craft beer boom per se hit. So this is like, you know, uh, beyond uh, 15 years ago, Um, there's a Canadian brewery called Alexander Keith's and it's owned by Labatt, big multinational conglomerate. Anyways, Alexander Keith's, they decided to brand this beer an India Pale Ale. So it's called Alexander Keith's India Pale Ale, but it's a pale lager. It's 5%. It has nothing to do with hops. It hasn't even barely touched a hop flower ever. And it's completely not an IPA, but it says India Pale Ale on the label. And it's a huge, you know, very, very popular beer that's brewed in Nova Scotia and, um, and, and it sells very well across the entire country. They just slapped India Pale Ale on the label because maybe like, I don't know, a hundred years ago, it used to be an IPA, but it's not. It's just someone chucking it on the label. So that happens too, you know. How does everyone like uh, DDH Stardust? Can we get some comments on that? Lots of thumbs up being shown in the Zoom room. Yeah. All thumbs up in the Zoom room. Pram somewhere giving a random thumbs up to someone sitting opposite them before they realise that that person doesn't know what they're listening to. <laughs> yeah, it's good. I... More Comet hops, I say. More Comet? You want mm, more? Generally more beers with Comet in it rather than more hops in that particular beer. The, the balance on it's really good though. Like, it, it works. Well, I, like me personally, I, I hunt down uh, hops like Citra, Comet, uh, Mosaic, and those things because I love that. I love it when they're oniony and garlicky. Like I, I, I prefer that in, in my big IPAs. Um, 
yeah, uh, uh, it's it's some of my favorite favorite flavors out of an IPA. Is that mm-hmm. is that kind of like, oh, it's almost like I'm biting into an an onion here, but it still tastes good. I don't know. But if you sort of said savory and flavors like that, savory. That's onion, a great yeah. Savory is the best well way to describe it. Yeah, yeah. Trying it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Instead of saying onion and garlic, say savory. Yeah, good point. Thanks, mm-hmm. David. That's all, good, mate. I'm gonna use that going forward. Dan in our Zoom room said hides the six percent ridiculously well. I think that's pretty much bang on. Yeah, cool. Yeah. We're probably not far off. I think making the move from one beer to another. So if you're listening at home on the podcast, uh, here's a little time to point it, uh, to have a little pause if you need it to finish off the DDH Stardust before Warren Wu, who's made it into the room. It's only 7.13, Warren. Well done, mate. You're... No, hang on. I was here at 7. I've, I've just been, been quietly waiting like in the wings. Well, there's no proof of that in, the, uh, in what's <laughs> been recorded, mate. Um, you're going to lead us through the Silk Road Sunrise, my friend. Yeah. Excellent. So, charge so, your glasses. Yes. Oh, did you want to do a quick uh, mic check? No, no, we are we are good. I'm going to go to the the beer fridge and grab mine, but we can continue. Great. Who, who likes the label of this one? I think it's pretty. I cool. do. Yeah, I think it's. Yeah. This was a uh, the first draft of the label that Steve and I got was not appropriate in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> oh please! And uh, we had to we had to get some additions in there to make it. Uh, to make it s- sellable, right. I think. Oh, now I want to see the original label. Yeah. It was, um, it, it looked like the cover of an erotic novel. Um, and uh, yeah, it was, it was maybe a bit much. And then, so I think, what are the new additions? He added the, pom- the pomegranate, the blanket, and the, uh, and, the, and the laptop. The laptop wasn't there before. Yeah, I was wondering whether it was the blanket. The blanket yeah. was definitely added. The the laptop, the pomegranate, um, and is there the like a always added. Yeah, I think I think. Yeah, yeah. I I think that gives you a sense of of what you might have seen. Was the lightning um, axe the same? The original. <laughs> the lightning axe needs some editing before it. No. Got on the can. No. We'll get to we'll get to talking well, about that because I know that's one of the say, questions we'll, we'll coming up. Yeah, yeah, totally. That was first yeah. draft, wasn't it, Steve? That was first um, draft. Lightning axe. Yeah, or? lightning axe was lightning axe was first draft. Um, we've got yeah. There's there's there are some previous labels that have you know hidden things on them. Um, uh, yeah, there's been <laughs> there's there's been a few a few labels where we've had to edit out body parts here and there and then there's okay. been a, a couple labels where the body parts have you know made the cut because they're sort of disguised well enough i, I think hidden <laughs> things in a label or in a in a graphic's really good especially if they're that's that kind kind of content i've got a mate that um does the artwork for a, a, another podcast and every time he does the artwork for one of their episodes there's a little bit of a uh, a testicle slipping out of one of the guys somewhere just to change things up. <laughs> Most people can't see it, but it's always there. So if you can like change things up on your labels, who cares? I'm going to get things back on track by saying <laughs> that I heard the other day that the entire first edition of Huckleberry Finn had to be pulped. 
because of an untoward image in it, where someone who was in presumably the graphic design part of the uh, publishing house had inserted something into one of the pictures that shouldn't have been there. So go and check out No Such Thing as a Fish if you'd like to learn more about that one. In the meantime, Warren Wu, why don't you lead us through the lovely Silk Road Sunrise? Yeah, Silk Road Sunrise. Awesome. So, all right. Bryce let us in on a little, I suppose, a nice secret. It, so it's not supposed to be sour. Is that the angle that we're, we're going for here? That the sourness isn't necessarily what you planned? So as far as I'm aware, and Steve just confirmed this for me, the, the pomegranate molasses just raised the pH of the beer. Lowered the pH. Um, oh, sorry, lowered, sorry, lowered, that's right. Lowered the pH of the beer, um, making it, giving it that tang. Uh, I don't think we plan to have it there. Correct me if I'm wrong. No, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't designed as a uh, sour per se. However, um, yeah, what we... Ben can talk about this because he would have done the pH measurements while it was fermenting. And um, yeah, we, we, I think, Hey, Ben, when did I uh, needs my Ben, when did the uh, pome, pomegranate molasses go in? Um, just uh, mid, mid fermentation. Okay. So, you know, that's got sugar content and you chuck it in mid-fermentation and it will ferment through the sugar content in that pomegranate molasses. However, um, it still has an impact on the flavor um, and, and yeah, it impacted, uh, you know, there was some acidity there as well um, that impacted the pH of the beer. So, you know, Ben can talk about what happened because you were doing the measurements. <laughs> yeah, sure. Oh, sorry, I, well, I missed the question. What was that? So we were uh, just talking uh, about the fact that the it's it's there is a sourness to the beer and it's really lovely. Like I think it's a good feature, but not necessarily what you planned. Uh, not not necessarily. Um, uh, but we're 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 pretty happy with how it worked out. Um, happy accident. Yeah, happy accident. Yeah. Um. As yeah, as Steve said, like pomegranate is naturally acidic, so the pomegranate molasses, while sweet, is also you know quite low pH. Um, yeah, and it lends like a like a zippy kind of tart acidity to it, which which is which um, just kind of makes the overall drinking experience a little bit more lively and and, and less sweet and cloying. Hmm. So we're pretty happy. Is yeah, happy accident as 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 Bryce said. Yeah, it's 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 delicious. Yeah, it's definitely delicious, and that that acidity is really lovely. I think it's a good balanced acidity. Um, but going back to, to the previous conversation regarding styles, and we were talking about IPAs, but but how does the how does the that acidity then sit with the Belgian pale ale mm. idea, which is is the one on the label? Is that yeah? Yeah. So I think the 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 acidity makes this beer out of style, really, um, in, in terms of. If we're, if we're being like, you know, true to BJCP or Brewers Association yeah. um, style guidelines, it's, 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 it's a bit more acidic um, than what would be within the, the guidelines of, of the style. Um, but, you know, we're not really brewing beers to, to, to style guidelines anyway. The, the, the reason we put like brew, uh, Belgian Pale Ale on it is just to give a general 
idea to the consumer about what what, what kind of beer they're expecting. Um, yeah, so it has got like you know slightly maltier, um, bready, caramelly kind of uh, malt characteristics as you would expect from a Belgian pale ale, uh, and then a hint of like spice and citrusy kind of um, vibes from the from the sumac, and then yeah, the pomegranate molasses give it a richness and acidity. Uh, someone's just asked what the final pH was. Mm. Oh, it was Three. just under four, I think. Three point eight on the brew log. Mm. So yeah, like a wine. That's a, effectively a wine. Wine tank. White tank. wine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So and and that's what it feels like when you're drinking it. It's mm. almost wine esque. Mm. But then when you smell, you get the the Belgian esters, and then when you taste it, obviously it tastes like beer. At the end of the day. Um, I fell in love with this beer the first night we, we, we packaged it. I took a can home thinking, uh, this isn't going to be much. Um, and then I poured it and I, I drank it and I was literally obsessed. I went straight back to the brewery the next day and took a four pack home and, and shared them with my friends. And I was like, well, my housemates, sorry, not friends, because we can't have friends. Steve, do you realize how much beer is <laughs> walking out of the brewery, mate? Do you <laughs> I no, I paid for that. Well, I, they were on my tab. We'll say that. <laughs> when was the last time you fixed up your tab? Never. <laughs> uh, I ask a really, a really sort of newbie type of question. Is pomegranate molasses molasses which has pomegranate juice added or is it molasses that's somehow made from pomegranate seeds and juice? Or, uh, and where I, does one buy this? Because I love pomegranate. I'll look into this. It's a Lebanese thing. Um, it's a Lebanese ingredient, mostly. Like, it, as far as I'm aware, it was created. Yeah, totally. In you can get it at, at Lebanon. Down the road. Um, but, yeah, 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 exactly. Um, as far as I'm aware, the molas- molasses actually refers to, I guess, the viscosity or the, and I'll, I'll look this up in a second and, and find out for us all. But I'm pretty sure molasses is referring to. Uh, it's called molasses because it's as viscous as molasses, but it's made from pomegranate. So I'll I'll check that in a second. Oh, that's exactly I'll, I'll, I'll come back. I'll come back to you. I think on it's that one. just like pomegranate juice that's just been stewed and down. Yeah, that's what I down I've... until it's just really really sweet. What else can I cook with it, Warren? Because I love this flavor. It's pretty cool, isn't it? Um, I used to use it in cocktails. Like there was yeah. a there was a little bit of a the like it was it was like a Tom Collins but with a splash of pomegranate molasses and uh, rose water. Um, it, I thought it was really tasty, but and it sold, so I suppose it was really tasty. But yeah, it's those those uh, those kind of Middle Eastern Turkish Lebanese ideas. Yeah, I think I don't know. You, um, some people some people use it. Um, to glaze a chicken. I've seen it done to glaze a chicken. And that acid with kind of that fatty skin on the chicken works really well. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Someone just kind of <laughs> saying it works with lamb, which I would... Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah, you could totally see it working with lamb. You know, those, the, the kind of that the funky lamb flavour and all that fat. Um, yeah, that would be sick. Um, and pomegranates are often served with lamb in a lot of um, Middle Eastern dishes. Like... Even Jella Lawson, I think, has done a lamb shoulder and pomegranate salad-y kind of thing. No, you're losing my interest. So far off. We're so far off track again. And this is me pulling us up. So it must be... I'm, I'm going to ring the bell, Warren. I'm yeah, going to ring the bell. That, that wasn't me. That was David asking about how we... 
pomegranate molasses, which you can buy at Woolies just down the road. So yeah, there you go. I'm not sure. I, I, I did actually get the answer. I did actually oh, get the awesome. answer yeah. if we want to visit back to it. But it sounds like we're done with pomegranate molasses. Yeah, we're totally done. <laughs> but yeah, we're what done. is it? Let's is, move it on. is it just cooked down pomegranate juice? It's no, it's it, yeah, no. It's it's just it's just like you could uh, refer to treacle, um, uh, maple syrup, anything that has that viscosity as, as a molasses of sorts. But it's essentially just pomegranate reduced down to a syrup. That's it. Cool. I might start yeah. a whole new podcast just about different types of treacle, but that's another matter. Just look out for that. <laughs> you can buy pomegranate juice at the corner shop on Kent. There, the plug for corner shop on Kent Street. Hi, guys. Um, yeah, you can buy pomegranate juice. It blew me out. I'm like, I've never seen it anywhere except for that corner shop. It's ridiculous. No, they sell it at Woolworths. Do they? Ring the bell. Juice. Yeah. It's pomegranate juice. Yeah. Oh, the brand's right. called Pom. There's another shout out. Yeah, P-O-M. P-O-M. All right, let's pom pomegranate juice. Dan, Dan, Dan like a health Dan, tonic. who's in the room with us, has posed a very, he's a, a very experienced and knowledgeable brewer and drinker. Said, enjoy the Belgian, Belgian esters in this. Now, again, let's have, imagine you're listening in for the first time and you don't know what Belgian esters mean. Men don't even know what el- esters means. Uh, can someone, maybe Ben or you know, what, what should people be looking for when a very intelligent person like Dan says, enjoy the Belgian esters? What, how would that represent in what we're tasting right now? Yeah, sure. So, like, uh, when you think about any kind of beer, you've got, obviously, like, the four ingredients in beer, water, hops, malt, yeast. Um, malt's giving you a, you a caramelly kind of, you know, sometimes straw-like, sometimes chocolate, you know, if you're going into a dark beer, hops are giving you all those like uh, aromatics, like you know, grassy, citrusy, floral, Great. whatever. Pretty much anything else is coming from yeast, and they're they're kind of like a little bit more subtle and um, uh, flavor contributors. Uh, so, if you think about like a, 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 a any kind of Belgian beer, you're going to have a lot of esters. Uh, any kind of like German um, wheat beer. Uh, you're going to have like esters and phenolics as well. Phenolics is a different ball game, but, um, but esters are kind of uh, flavor and aroma uh, compounds that are produced from the yeast. Um, would, would, a so, good, would a good example of that, Ben, be uh, the banana flavor from heifers? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So like a Hefeweizen, um, like a, a cloudy German wheat beer. Um, uh, isoamyl acetate, um, which is an ester, uh, which which lends like a, a banana um, aroma and flavour to the beer. Um, more on, on on more of like a subtle level, you've got like some West Coast like American, you know, IPA yeasts and pale ale yeasts that that end like that lend like a little bit of like a appley pear, uh, subtle citrusy kind of aroma and flavour to the beer. And then you go um, down the like the Belgian route or the Belgian yeasts um, throw again a little bit of banana like uh, overripe. Definitely getting a bit of banana. Um, spice as well. So these are more like phenolics rather than so the spicy kind of thing is is, is from phenolics rather than esters. Um, um, but but yeah, so phenolics and and esters uh, are, 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 are what are produced by the yeast, the flavor and, and aroma compounds produced by yeast. 
yeah, but but esters can can exist in like all sorts of, um, you know, fruity, uh, most mostly fruity uh, compounds. It sounds like you guys like playing around with them, is, and, is that- and Shane is like itching for a question: Are they the new hops? Mm. All that. Oh yeah. Are esters the new hops? I yeah. No. They look. S three beers have been around forever, and I don't think they're going anywhere. Um, But are uh, yeah, I I don't know. I think like saison, for example, is 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 a style, a Belgian style that had uh, a lot of interest and a lot of survival um and there there are breweries small you know traditional breweries that have you know that's all that they sell um and i think their consumer um the yeah the s3 things are the niche end of the spectrum um, and hops seem to have really um, and for a lot of people that I know once you get on the hop train you know you just want more and more 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 um, whereas esters are all about refund like you know you classic you know poorly made hefeweizen No fermentation's gone out of control. Uh, the new hops. I'll, I'll I'll give a bit of a different um, take on that, and 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 I think this before, but it's it the two go hand in hand. Hops uh, react differently to different yeasts, so that's what's really important about the lightning axe when we reached that one is that I don't think it would have tasted the way it does with its hop, uh, you know, uh, hop, uh, selection had we've used a different yeast. Uh, Ben, can you confirm that? I get, I think like with lightning axe specifically, the hops and the yeast, um, and the esters provided by the yeast and the phenolics provided by the yeast, um, are all there for a reason. Um, and they all they all contribute to a greater good, you know, and 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 the beer, the resulting beer, is you know, as some of its parts. I, guess. I don't think like on a chemical level, there's anything like substantial there with 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 quike yeast and the kind of hops that we've thrown at it, um, but quike yeast uh, generally is uh, by a transform of yeast um so if we did like throw heaps of hops at it that that uh that contained um linalool and geraniol um uh and we did like a a large like uh, first dry hop you know with bravo that we spoke about earlier um then yeah we might get like a hell of a lot of uh juicy new england ipa vibes from it um but i don't think I don't think we did with that one. It was more an ex- about the- that's an experiment for later. Yeah, yeah, totally. 
Let's do it. Let's make it. Collaboration arising out of the podcast. So you can do back to us and... I might slide along in that flavour conversation. Um, you guys have never been too afraid to throw in an adjunct or, or a different flavour into your beers. Uh, what's the strangest one you've ever dealt with? What's the, what's the nutty ones that you've, you've thrown uh, in? We've pink got is a, pink. It was a bit weird. I think it's pink. Yeah, sure. Yeah, that was, that was an interesting one. Um, what was that? What was in pink peppercorn saison? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, so yeah. He's, he's got bright, it. Bright pink. Hmm? Oh, played, Richard. There, is it. there it is. He's got it. Someone's got a can of it. Yeah, it's available it's over the wall. Jim's got a can of it there. Yeah, shit. What did you... Uh, uh, I don't, we, he's giving thumbs up. Uh, that's good. The beer, beer cartel, <laughs> I think, is where Richard sourced his beers this week. So. Awesome. Awesome. What yeah, else have yeah, we done? We've done... Um, we've got a, ta- a, 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 a New England IPA with... Basil in it in tank at the moment. Oh, sick! Could, could, well, actually, can we touch on on the on the bots? Can we talk about the bots, even though we don't have them here? Can we? Can we? Talk yeah, about this, sure. this this is really interesting, and it's something that I think Ben sort of pioneered for for, for us a little bit. So, can we? Yeah, I was listening to this it. podcast um, again, not to detract from this podcast, but uh, the Brewers Association podcast. I was listening oh, our to... arch rivals! Hang on, <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah, no, we we had a pretty we had a big incident one night in a uh, in a car park. They brought knives, and we didn't realise that oh, that was going to go down. So, no, we never. Y'all, 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 y'all brought guns. Yeah. <laughs> I thought we weren't going to talk about that, David. Like, <laughs> tell us, tell us, tell us how people can find the podcast so they can hear the episodes you're going to talk to us about. Uh, I, I, I think, yeah, it was just the, the Brewers Association podcast. Uh, we're talking about uh, biotransformation, um, and and there was like this brewing chemist um, who they were they were interviewing, who is far more knowledgeable than I am on the subject. Uh, but they were saying that you know the 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 um, the types of oils and compounds that are found in, in the hops. Um, that you're that you're looking for in order to create a new england ipa and that biotransformative like reaction between all those oils and the yeast uh and they were saying oh yeah like they were listing off like five or six different types of hot varieties that had those uh oils in high concentration geranial yeah geranial and linalool and then i started thinking about uh so i'm i'm a i'm a really uh passionate home cook. Um, I love like trying new ingredients and stuff and cooking heaps of different cuisines, which is kind of how this um, Silk Road Sunrise came about because I've been starting to get into, uh, you know, Middle Eastern uh, cuisine and stuff. Um, I digress. Uh, So I started thinking about what kind of, uh, after listening to this podcast, I started thinking about what uh, ingredients in the culinary world also contained geraniol and linalool. Uh, and coriander is, is a big one. Uh, coriander seed um, has heaps of geraniol. Um, and geraniol is, yeah, again, one of those compounds that the biotransformative yeast just latches onto and, like, and, and, and binds to and, 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 and creates all these beautiful, like juicy kind of fruit flavors when, it's, when, it's, um, when those two things meet. 
so we started doing um, a series called like a bot series. So the bot kind of refers to, you know, like a transformer, like biotransformative character. So we've done um, two in the past. I was past. thinking botanical, which is, I suppose. Oh yeah, sure. Too. Yeah, yeah, I would just... it, it, it goes both ways. Yeah, absolutely. Ways. Mm. So the, um, uh, the first rendition of this series, if you can call it that, um, is, is the, uh, the Mozbot, so Mosaic Single Hop, Double Dry Hop, Pale Ale. So in the first dry hop, and it's like the same kind of like double dry hop technique we've used in the, um, in the Stardust. Uh, in the first dry hop, we, we again put a little bit of Bravo in because uh, we knew that we had like a, a linalool and geraniol uh, contained within that, the, the, the oil composition of the Bravo. We also chucked in a couple of kilos of uh, ground coriander seed. Oh, um, yeah. yeah, so the yeast that we've used was interacting with the geraniol and linalool in both of those two. So the Bravo and the um, coriander seed. Um, and that thing, and, and, and it's, it's, it was a bit of a, being a small brewery, we can, we can kind of experiment um, with these kind of outlandish ideas. Um, but you, drinking the beer, like it didn't, like I, I was really concerned suggesting this idea because I didn't want a beer that tasted like curry, but it really didn't. You, you, you couldn't really, you couldn't identify that there was. It wasn't there. identififiable. The, the coriander was gone. Which it is, wasn't yeah. even noticeable. Which yeah, is kind of when you think about weeper. wheat beers and that citrus and often coriander seeds are, are like a feature, not really in the old fashioned ones, but in the newer ones. Yeah, in, in Belgian wheat beers, there's coriander seeds, a big component of that. And that's a, it's funny how you guys have kind of hit on that. So then the, how does the basil come? How does your new basil bot beer? Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, good question. Um, uh, That's so, Simbot. Yeah, Simbot. Um, so we, we actually did another coriander biotransformative beer um, with um, citra bot. So we use citra, citra hops instead of mosaic. And now uh, currently in Fermenter, we've got a um, Simbot. Um, so Simcoe hops, uh, but we've also chucked in basil, which has an even higher concentration than coriander does of geranium. Mm. Um, and that's in tank at the moment. Uh, so I think we're going to chuck some grapefruit at it as well. Uh, so basil and grapefruit, again, from like the culinary world, you know, those two things work really incredibly well together. Um, so we're still debating whether or not we should add some grapefruit to it as well to complement um, the basil and and yeah and the Simcoe hops. Can I ask as a as a home brewer, and I've asked this of previous guests, how often do you do sort of small batch runs of this? I know small batch doesn't necessarily convert by any means perfectly up to a big one, but are you just playing with this beer and seeing how it goes in a big batch? And Steve's money is just going to the wall here, or do you have a couple of little goes first just to sort of see what basil will do when you put it in a beer? We throw Steve's money at the wall. <laughs> I literally said this. I wasn't going to say it. I'm glad he. I said this the other day. I said this the other day. We need a we need a small pilot brewery to test out some of these ideas because, like me, I'm the one who has to fucking sell it. Excuse my language. <laughs> like, uh, like at the end of the day, you give me a fucking pink peppercorn hibiscus 
uh, Belgian. Yeah, awesome, great. I'll sell so all old, of that. Nice one, mate. <laughs> you loved it. Uh, it's not loved it. It was a great bit. <laughs> Let's be honest. I've I've had to sell. I'm not going to name names, but I've had to sell some pretty weird beers, and they don't sell. So mm. if if I can just imagine a basil beer could go, not the way you want it to. There's no of, way that I'm telling anyone that there's basil in that beer. I'm literally just going to sell I'm, it. I'm kind of interested. <laughs> like the basil bit would have been the bit that got me over the line. Well, I think really? that's the bit that we're, yeah, totally. It, it, gets beer, it gets beer nerds over the line. Um, it definitely does. It doesn't yeah. get your average punter over the line. Oh, no, so, probably not. But at the no. end of the day, when I'm out in the field and I'm trying to, to obviously get these beers in, into, onto taps, not right now, but into stores in Cannes, um, I'm talking about, you know, what what most people will understand from a beer. I'm not going to say, hey, we put a bunch of basil in this. If they read the description of the beer, they'll see that there's basil in it. And then I'll talk more on it because they're obviously a beer nerd. They love to know that sh- that, that that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, other than that, I'm not going to bring it up as the first talking point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's it. I suppose that's a Yeah, that's... And that's what you have to do because, yeah, in the end, you're the guy who's selling it. Um, I'm just going to quickly go back. Uh, Sumac, um, great question from the, the the room. Sumac, what is it? How do you, well, I'm pretty sure it's in Coles. I think I've seen it in Coles. But what is it? Yeah, Woolworths, mate, and that corner that's store. It. That's yeah. it, and that corner store. No, that corner store doesn't have Sumac. You know what? Nigella seed's really hard to find. It, I'm just, just saying. Um, Indian grocers, though, the one near um, the big market, I've been told. But anyway, uh, yeah, it's a sumac. Give us the what, so along the same lines, you were thinking that Middle Eastern, North African kind of... Sumac, sumac was our second choice. Ah, cool. What was the first choice, Steve? Uh, grains of Paradise. So oh, yeah. originally this beer was supposed to be made with Grains of Paradise um, and we couldn't find any. And I can't remember, was there some random story about how it like import problems? I called everyone. I called everyone of the sun trying to find grains of paradise. I was like, uh, so our local, our local spice and grain supplier, they're like, we don't even know what you're talking about. This thing doesn't exist. And I'm like, okay, you're by, uh, I called someone in Queensland, called someone in New South Wales, called someone in bloody Perth. I called everyone trying to find, and all of them said the same thing. We can't get it in. It keeps getting destroyed because of COVID. <sighs> so Bryce, a second ago, you were telling us it's your job to get and sell beers on the road. Now you're telling and, us that you're Dan, the chief <laughs> spice saucer. No, no, um, no, no. Dan, Dan, uh, the, uh, tall boy, um, at tall boy and moose, um, uh, uh, basically set me the task is like, I'm under the pump. Uh, I think, I think Ben was, uh, on some annual leave. And so he felt, uh, way under the pump. So he's like, here's a list of things I need you to do. And, and that was on it. So that was why it was my task. To find grains of paradise or, or sumac. To find grains of paradise. Well, I found a sumac. Failed. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I found the sumac. Sumac was the alternative. Sumac gives a, um, it's, it's basically lemon pepper, right? Citrus pepper. And gra- grains of paradise is similar. I think it's, it's kind it, of it, lemony, peppery. Um, and it doesn't taste exactly like sumac. Sumac is, is a pretty sharp kind of it's lemony. Yeah. 
but it's also kind of earthy. Which yeah, is, yeah, which that's is, which, the, which yeah. ties into the malt character of this beer. Oh yeah, I think yeah, it's like kind of like earthy, like it is a spice at the end of the day. It's a Middle Eastern spice. There is an element of spice to sumac. Yes, it smells quite zesty and citrusy, but if you taste it, it's got those zesty flavors as well. But it has got like an earthy spiciness too. So it really works with the esters and the phenolics and the malt character of this beer. I think. And it's probably not like... Chimes in again. I'm going to say we're going to move on to our third and final official beer. And um, Steve, do you want to tell me how to pronounce K-V-E-I-K officially? That's how we're going to pronounce it for the rest of the podcast. Next week, we might have a different guest using the same yeast, but how should I be pronouncing it tonight? Uh, I say Kvik, um, or if I'm... Being lazy, I say. That's exactly not what I say. Quick, um, but Ben says, "Quike." Quike. Yeah, I'm, I'm with Ben. Quike. I'm with Ben. I've got "quike" written down here from our previous conversation before. So let's go with that. So got "quike" because someone once told me it's almost like quack. So we're not going to bog down on this question. <laughs> I just wanted to use that as just a little hey. We're not. <laughs> we're not. We're not. Bog- what? You sure? Their sunrise and open up their lightning axe. Now's the time to do that. If you're on the podcast version, Chris pause now to get this ready. Dan, that was a magnificent opening. Or someone just opened something near a microphone. Great work, whoever did that. We're going to kick off with a conversation about. The third and final of the beers that we're officially tasting tonight. Now, I've got to say, this was the one that I put when I was doing my show notes up first. And Ben and Bryce, you've convinced me that I was wrong. But why wouldn't you have had this one first? For people who are learning what order you should drink beers in, why don't we ask that question up front? Why this beer last, not first? Sure. I guess it's uh, the most bitter of the lot. Um, so, uh, you, generally you can, speaking, um, you can just <laughs> drop the axe on him and just say, it's a 7% cloudy IPA, David. What the fuck were you thinking? <laughs> yeah, yes, it's a cloudy IPA, but, it, but it's, but it's also like quite assertive on the bitterness. I, so, I just kind of wanted to say that to mention dropping the axe. Like, you know, drop. Yeah, I, I was going to say. Just, I just thought you wanted to swear that bit. Thank God. Microphone, so. Um, so yeah, the. I guess like we were just thinking double dry hop stardust is, is the lowest um, intensity, I think of the three beers that we've been tasting. Um, and we don't want to like assault your taste buds by taste, by tasting something that's quite high uh, in, in, in bitterness. Um, and then also like, as, as we're about to taste the, the quack yeast is also quite uh, in your face. Uh, it, it, is, it is very much there. It's not a subtle beer at all. Um, so we kind of wanted to like work up from the most subtle beer to the most expressive and, and punchy beer. So, um, yeah. what's everyone kind of getting on the nose on this one? Cause this is probably the most aromatic in, in my opinion of the beers. Um, and the head retention is great. Um, like I'm getting like bubblegum pineapple. That's my, that's my, yeah. that's my pick. Yeah, that real hit of pine. There's a the yeah, that's mean that sort of pineiness pine. and resin, yeah. cool, crisp, mm. like a, a pineapple that you've left out in uh, 
in the very sweet in the hate in the hate and it's just like yeah just before it gets rotten it's just like wrong this like this funky dank stewed fruit Mm. overripe fruit Mm. question ben um for for myself is uh, you were saying before that the quiet east wouldn't have had much of an impact on this Uh, like do, do do you not think that the quiet keys brought more? Um, I guess the tang, I guess the tang or the, uh, or the what? Yeah, what would you consider the tang of a fruit compared to had we used a regular yeast that might have just made it like a sweet pineapple? Thanks, Bryce. I'm I'm just going to sit back and relax in my big no. hammock that I have here. In the Sorry, room. Dave. Because no, no, I couldn't be happy, mate. You're running the show for us. I'm it's a bonza. <laughs> yeah, who, who's interviewing who? All right, just, um, that was for me personally. I want to know. I mean, yeah. So, like, we we we've chucked some Azaka hops at it, which has like this this kind of like yeah overripe kind of f- almost like fermented fruit character to it, um, which I think I'm getting a, a lot in this beer, um, and I think it's complemented by by the same similar similar kind of like uh, esters from the quakis mm. um yeah okay. where's your follow-up bryce come on mate you're taking over no 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 it's this is this is for you from here sorry i guess you know we're can you, a lot of people may not have actually encountered this yeast before we've touched on the importance of yeast it's actually been a quite coherent story that we've told tonight um Tell us the story of this yeast. Where does it come from? Why is it one of the coolest yeasts that cool breweries are using at the moment? Yeah, it's Steve. Oh, no, 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 Steve. Yeah, go for it. Steve, if you want to say something. You, you, Steve, you, Steve has a story to tell about early days um, with, with Tallboy and Moose and, and Quack. Predate, predates me. Yeah, I guess, um, you know, it, if anybody that wants to go down the rabbit hole, um, there's a there's a blog called Lars Blog, and that's where I first came across this. Um, and uh, so there's this sort of beer historian guy uh, named Lars. And he's from the he's, uh, <laughs> Different Lars. Um, but he has been, yeah, looking up weird beer styles from Scandinavia and Eastern Europe. And I think in his, I think he's, maybe he's written a couple books. Um, but yeah, in his spare time, he'd basically just go on, uh, he'd do some beer travel and he'd go to like weird remote vis- villages where people are effectively homebrewing, um, but using uh, yeast strains that have been passed down in their family for generations. And that's basically what, this yeast is it's um quike is a norwegian word for yeast and it's just the word that these people use for the their house strain and um there's lots of photos up on the blog on lars blog of people they just have a little glass jar with dried bits of yeast and um when they want to brew they just sprinkle the dried bits of yeast over uh their you know, fermentation vessel and it just rips um, and goes and ferments like crazy. And then they'll go and um, they'll, they'll uh, pull some yeast when they're done and leave it out to dry and then put it back in the jar and then use it again. And so 
this this yeast is meant to be like super robust you can just beat the crap out of it and it loves it and um and it's known for liking a very hot fermentation um so yeah i, I came that, across why is that useful as a brewer why is having that you know um well yeast is generally quite fickle and so um uh, a lot of people uh, there's an old saying that um brewers brewers don't make beer yeast makes beer and brewers have to keep the yeast happy right and so um a lot of yeast is fickle it needs to be you know fermented within very specific parameters at specific temperatures and it need they need it needs to be treated a certain way so you know brewers um will go through a lot of effort uh to create ideal circumstances for that yeast to be happy both in terms of temperature you know giving it sugar to eat um which is you know the the wort um uh you know making sure the wort has the right um uh has the right sort of components so you need well oxygenated wort and um and you need the right sort of nutrients present in that wort for yeast to be happy whereas this yeast you can just chuck it in and it rips right um in our experience it likes to be treated badly the perfect example is why uh, of of the yeast being like being treated badly is the thunder hammer versus lightning axe uh release date so ben as he takes a sip no comment uh yeah so with lightning axe we basically just yeah sprinkled some dry yeast on um and it 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 ripped and went crazy and then i think thunder hammer was slightly more complicated and challenging um <laughs> for various reasons um but uh back to my original story on Lars blog i saw i saw i came across that blog a couple of years ago and we we sourced some yeast from a, a small yeast supplier in the US and they shipped it over to us and um and had a play in in the brewery and thought um and and it was really like a holy shit moment you know when we tasted um the original lightning axe which was that first attempt uh, a couple of years ago um it yeah i hadn't really tasted any beer quite like it um and and my what stuck in my memory back then was it was like you took bananas mangoes and papayas uh and citrus including the peel and smashed it all together in a bucket and and so you kind of get this real uh complex fruity character but there is sort of like a savory element to it um as well and um yeah i don't know it, it i really dug it and 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 we found that it was very complementary to to heavy hopping um hence you know making ipas and um hoppy styles with it there's so an element what of like, what a, we... uh, like a barnyardy kind of or, or like not quite saison but there's some kind of like a farmhousey kind of underlying tone here um, and I, and I've experienced that with every quake IPA I've had. Um, yeah. So that, that bucket that you're smashing all the fruit in is a dirty bucket. Yeah. <laughs> I, keep, like I keep referring to it as, bit of hay in it as well. Yeah. I keep uh, referring to it as the tang 
but savory is probably the better word that Steve just used. Savory is the right word. Yeah. There's just, there's just a, an edge that, that, that the yeast seems to add that you, that, that anytime you have like a, Oh, this is a passion fruit Nipah or it's a, this fruity style Nipah. They always just taste sweet. You don't get the edge from it. Whereas quark or quark yeast does it gives that edge and that's why i really love about it i love this beer this is probably probably my favorite can release we've we've done since i've started working for tall boy moose trav sorry i thought you might have had a question there but i'm happy to keep on leaving charge when there's there's two sort of questions that spring to my mind first of all this Lars that you've spoken about and his diary and so forth, has anyone ever coordinated that with like Metallica's touring schedule through Europe and so forth, just to make sure that it's not Lars just ducking at the back from you know, the average sort of concert to go and see some small regional brewing establishment. More importantly, the flavours that we're tasting right now, tell us which ones are coming from the yeast as opposed to everything else was in the brew along the way. Ben. <laughs> um, the, the, the latter part of your question is, <laughs> is, I don't know. Like it, it's, it's, it's even now, like I, I brewed this beer and I'm drinking it right now. And I, I, uh, I think there's like a seamless, like meld between the flavor, the, the, contribution from the yeast and the hops i i can't pick out that's kind of what's fun about it it's yeah absolutely absolutely um the azaka is it's like dank like stewed fruit and that's why we we chose to like put it in to a a quark ipa which i also like personally get like a lot of like dank stewed fruit from um so that was like a kind of no-brainer um and the the cryo chinook gives the like, sorry, like yeah, cryo cryo um, chinook hops gives like a like a woodiness as well. Um, yeah, I don't know. It just you can't really pick where one starts and the other ends. Um, it's it's yeah, and that's yeah, it's, uh-uh. it's what. Unless we were to literally take the two different beers and, and brew them with different yeasts. Sorry, no, sorry. The same beer put into two different tanks, do all the same dry hop process, but just put two different yeasts on it. Then you could probably pick it. But yeah, as it sits, I just love this beer. It's so good. Now we're dealing with some great can art here with Lars riding the lightning um, very much a Metallica reference there, I hope, or is it just completely random? Who's Metallica? You keep saying this name. And, uh, <laughs> Metallica um, and I have a history. Go back into the... Uh, I'm being sarc- Dave, I'm being sarcastic. No, no, no. I know, I know you know who they are, but do you know <laughs> that why they and I have a very bad relationship? And, no, go. Can, um, wait, can, we, can we hear that story? Uh, Colin, David, you've, you've opened Go, up, you, you opened, opened the door. Don't do that. You, you started it. Asking, Tell us the story. Listen, asking the question, does our little friend on the cans have a name? D- does, does, the, does the character on the can have a name? Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. La- that, that is Lars. That's Lars. He's riding the lightning. 
Is he also master of puppets? No, hang on. He not. could be. Why? So is he Lars on every can? Is that his name? No. no. Hang on. So how many characters do you actually have? Lots. Um, there's just basically, I guess there's Simon, who's our graphic designer, likes to draw. He's, he sort of created these naked people. Um, and, and, um, androgynous. Negative. Yeah. <clears throat> and so all, all the characters are, are, are mostly yeah, androgynous and, and naked on our labels. Um, and I guess it, it sort of started before we were doing beer labels, he was doing event posters for us. And so, for example, you know, we've got, we did a New Year's Eve poster that's got like, you know, 20 different characters on it. Um, and, and so, yeah, it, they, they look similar, but I guess if you look at different labels, different characters might have different hairstyles and different eyebrows and different colors yeah, so, as well. You know, like the, I think the color is the biggest differential between each one, right? And even if you look, yeah. If, so if you compare Lars um, on lightning Axe to, you know, the, the characters that are on um, Silk Road Sunrise, um, they're, they're obviously different people, right? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Good answer. Um, I've got two more questions before we throw over to the, uh, the Zoom Room audience. And remembering if you join us in the Zoom Room, then you get to ask your questions. Uh, Steve, you answered this question back in December 2018. So you can update us if you want. But our traditional cool room question, what's the strangest thing you've ever seen in a cool room or the most disturbing or the funniest? Go back and check the archives for episode two of our now 53 episode run to hear Steve's initial very disturbing question. Um, ben, what's the most disturbing thing you've ever seen in a call room, mate? And I, I just want to put in a, a quick note because I've got to take off shortly, but the bone can from episode two is still the most disgusting thing I've ever seen in a cool room. <laughs> and for people right. that want someone to elaborate on what a bone can is, you can go back and listen to episode listen two. Listen to the episode two, yeah. Thank you, mate, for joining us tonight. It was an unexpected bonus for everyone. Um, be safe and good. And um, thank you, Steve, for joining us. Ben, that doesn't get you off the hook, mate. Oh, shit. Uh, fuck. Do you have a bone can story? I don't. Bryce, do you have a... It's got to be something, Ben, come on. No, no, I, 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 I do have a... Um, it, just, just, it's, it's nothing surprising. It's just a poorly managed uh, cool room. So there was this uh, there was this bucket of like Posada or so, like some kind of tomato, tomato mix that had clearly been in the corner of a cool room for way too long. Um and at this t at the time, I was working for a company that designed and sold commercial kitchen equipment, and we also imported cool room racking, right? So your wire racking that goes into the cool room. So I was going into this cool room to do a, a measure up, and I'm trying to maximize their storage space and really try and improve their efficiency. Yada yada yada. And I go into this cool room, and they're like, "Yeah, just go in there, just measure it up. You you'll be fine." I'm like, "Yeah, cool." I, I'm trying to get my tape measure past something and i'm like fuck what is that, that? like something stuck anyway i look under one of the um i look under one of the racks 
and there's this bucket of Posada that has been opened full and the mold is just growing out all over the floor, all over the racking at the back. And it's gone all the way to the top of the post of the racking and, 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 and it started to spread across the platforms of the racking onto the food that they're picking off and serving. It was the most disgusting thing I'd ever experienced. And I didn't notice it on the racking until I, until I noticed where it was coming from I th- because the racking was, was black, but the mold was on the, on the, on the black racking and it was just intense. All of a sudden, um, there's all these people in Melbourne who can't go out to dine at the moment who are feeling much better about that fact. Uh, I'm not going to tell you where this was, but it's a very popular restaurant. I've never run one no, of Come on, you can, you can say it. We can beep it out in the edit. Nah, we can, I'll tell you in private. Yeah, so we can maybe type it in the chat or something like that. That's why you need to join us in Zoom room. I'll, 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 I will say it's in the Crown building. Oh, uh, sorry, in, in the um, in the casino building. That's what as much as I'll say. I reckon I've already figured it out. <laughs> um, at the moment, I think I'm right in saying that we have no other questions in the Zoom room. Get us up, guys. Come on. Ben, have you thought of your most disturbing mm. thing that's happened in a cool room or a brewery? Just one of those moments that people who think, wouldn't it be great to be a brewer in a, you know, in a nice, I don't know, Steve, so you sort of hinted before you didn't want to be regarded as a big brewery, but I presume not a medium, like a small brewery. How do you think that you sort of, how do you think about your scale and what you're doing on that front? Uh, the size of the brewery. Yeah, or how do you regard, do you regard, I, I think of you now as a major Melbourne brewery in terms of style and, you know, setting the agenda for Melbourne beer. Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, we definitely, I, I would say when we opened uh, three and a bit years ago, um, we were a very small brewery. Um, we were brewing 600 liter batches. Uh, so we bought 1200, we had three tanks and we were filling them halfway and we very quickly realized that we needed to fill them more than halfway. And then, um, yeah. So we expanded the cellar twice since then. Um, and, um, I would say we're probably a medium sized brewery, I guess, in, in, in this small brewery, Spectrum. <laughs> We're a medium-sized small brewery. Does that make sense? Totally. No, it's interesting to sort of see how people feel about where they're at. So, the, uh, so someone someone's asked a decent question here. J- uh, James has said just a question in terms of business model. Up until now, um, uh, as in COVID, uh, you didn't have a lot of package beer apart from the cannibals, um you could get from the brew pub. Uh, was it always your business plan to be exclusive to the brew pub until COVID? Steve? Uh, no. So we were never, uh, in terms of, we were never exclusive and we were actually super, super lucky to have started a packaging program prior to COVID happening. So I think it's about a year ago we started packaging 
Um, our first package release was Pillow Fight. Yeah, now, yep. Um, so that was an oat cream IPA with grapefruit. Um, and that was the first beer uh, we put into 440 mil cans for national distribution. So we sell beer um, predominantly in Melbourne. Um, and obviously, all the beers that we package are available via the brew pub, but we sell them into bottle shops around Melbourne. And we've got a distributor that sells our beers into other capital cities. Um, so our beers are available in, you know, Perth, Sydney, uh, Brizzy, ACT, you know, around, around the place um, in, I would say, relatively small quantities. Um, and so, yeah, we were super, super lucky to have started that process. We had, you know, worked our, our, our way through the kinks of getting, you know, packaging up and running. And um, so we, we kind of knew what we were doing and that was really important meant that we could take um, all of our tanks were filled with beer when COVID hit and instead of packing them into kegs and sending them around trying to sell kegs, you know, that nobody wanted to buy, we were able to divert all of that beer into cans and, you know, make decent use of it. Um, so literally right now at the brewery, we have very, very, very little draft beer, like, Every week we're blowing a tap um, and we're running short. Ben, we need some more. <laughs> and brew more beer. It was, it, it was um, funny. That first week of COVID was really funny, actually, um, because um, we, we were trying to plan and trying to work out what was going to happen because no one knew. No one had any idea what was going to happen. So at first it was like, okay, we're going to package everything into like 375 mil or 440 mil cans. And then the next thing that gets told to me is, hey, how do you feel about selling one liter cans to bottle shops? And I'm like, all right, whatever. Give me whatever you got. But then um, shortly after that, we ended up packing nine, nine individual uh, releases for the same day. Um, and we moved through all of that beer, which was great. Um, but that definitely set us up for the, for what was to come in second lockdown because we were so prepared because we knew it worked from, from the previous, um, previous outing of, uh, of lockdown. And we just, we, we just, we just said, okay, we've done this before. Let's do it again. So we started selling one liter tins to bottle shops. We started packaging everything we possibly could. We booked as many East East coast canning uh, dates that we could. And uh, yeah, we've been doing it. We've been doing it since. So that was originally going to be a question from James, but thanks Bryce for reading that one out. James. Sorry. Do you have a follow up on that one? Do you mate? Uh, I did, but uh, you, you guys kind of answered it. Anyway, I mean, yeah, I remember when the, the pillow fight came out as the first kind of can. And um, I guess my question was going to be, obviously, with the current pandemic that's going on, have you found yourself packaging more than you would have intended to originally? Or the plan was to always step up the, the packaging line around this time anyway? Yeah, we, we definitely have packaged more as a result. Um, and... And it's actually, it, it's really changed the way that we look at our brewery. We 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 had a we had a packaging schedule where certain beers were going to be brewed into certain tanks, and we've actually changed that. We've we've completely reorganized the way that we um, 
use our tanks uh, in terms of what beer is going to go into keg, what beer is going to go into package, how much of each beer, you know, how much of this specific release are we going to put out there um, and in terms of like the scale of different beers that we're releasing and, um, and the package format. So, you know, we've done, uh, we, so before COVID, I'm trying to think about it, you know, did we have core range beers in pack before oh, COVID? No, 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 no we way. <laughs> so, so that's I've got like, a, I, in fact, I've got a story there. So I started uh, in November, 2019 and, uh, and the directive was sell kegs package the stuff that'll, that'll just happen. Don't worry about it. Just sell kegs. We want kegs, kegs, kegs. I'm like, yeah, cool. And so I, so I get out there and then obviously COVID rocks around and, um, Dan comes up to me and says, I never wanted to sell cans of Sunray or, or lager ever. This is the most like, but this is the only way we're going to sell beer. So guess what? You've got core range package now. Go, good luck. Go for it. And I'm like, all right, cool. So before that, there was absolutely zero plan to have those two beers, the, uh, the core range beers, dead set lager and, um, Sunray XPA in package full stop as far as Dan, at least one half of the, uh, of the, uh, tall boy moose was concerned. My friends, I'm going to put a little bit of a bow on the formal recorded part of the conversation that we're having now. The best bit about being in the zoom room with us is that you can sit around and have a yarn with not only the brewers and, um, reps and everyone else who's been part of the process and who's been in the room tonight, to whom we're really grateful for the time they've put in. It's been a, been a really good session. And so thank you uh, to Steve, to Ben, to Bryce for sticking around. Thank you to my co-hosts for being part of that. We're all going to sit around and have a bit more of a yarn now. We're going to turn the podcast bit off. And um, so you, if you're listening on the podcast version, are going to miss out. But before you stop listening, the conversation that we're having right here, right now about the transition from a brew pub into a canning facility into a, a, a place that has to sell beer because of COVID is exactly the conversation we're going to have next week with the good people of Golden Hills. And I really encourage you, if you, uh, if you don't know that brewery, to support them by buying a half slab or a slab that, uh, through our store because they found themselves having to transition at even shorter notice in a way that these guys uh, haven't had. You've just heard that they were, you were in the right space at the right time to transition. Golden Hills probably wasn't. And so next week, um, we're doing our bit to help out that brewery by making sure they can sell their beers through us and then talk about them um, on the podcast. So please get online to the online store Get uh, around and support Golden Hills. If you're listening to this in a two or three years' time, go and visit them. For goodness sake, go and visit Torboy and Moose uh, if they're open again whenever you might be listening. It's a fantastic facility. Not only do they have a really large cool room that cooled Damien down on a hot summer's day when we first did our... It was our first ever outside broadcast, which was very exciting. And thank you to Steve for hosting that. Um, I'm rambling there. I said we weren't going to ramble. We've got to a two-hour episode anyway. Um, let's stop recording, Travis, and let's all get a couple of beers and sit around and have a yarn as a Zoom room.
Well, yes, guys. Yes, Straight off the back of what you just said, how do we get Damien to start drinking again? Hey there, Cool Room listeners. We've got a little ad for you. No, we're not asking for money so that you can advertise quality mattresses, razors, or any of those other sort of things that seem to get advertised on podcasts. What we're looking for is other fun podcasts that would like to share a 30-second ad with our listeners, letting everyone know why they're so great, and in return, letting us share a 30-second ad for The Cool Room. We know that right now there's a whole lot of people who are looking for fun new podcasts to help them while away their isolation hours, so if you've got something to share, drop us a line via our Facebook or Instagram accounts. Right, ad over.